This is Artist Soapbox. Through interviews and original scripted audio fiction, we deliver stories that speak to your hearts and your minds. It's Tamara here. I'm popping in really quickly to introduce this episode hosted by the amazing Griffin James with guest Shira Helena Gitlin. Shira is a trans non-binary director, dramaturg, and gender consultant. If you are committed to creating an inclusive space, this is a must-listen, friends. The trans community is being vilified politically through a series of proposed bills and bans which would limit access to medical care, censor performances and literature, and would out trans children to their parents. One thing you can do to help the trans community is to register to vote and to contact your local representatives to communicate the harm this will cause. See the links to the show notes for resources. Enjoy this episode, and please share it. Hey everyone, my name is Griffin James, and this is Artist Soapbox. Today I am joined by Shira Helena Gitland, a director, dramaturge, and gender consultant based out of Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you so much for being here, Shira, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Griffin. I actually attended your workshop, Making Your Production Trans-Inclusive, at the National Women's Theatre Festival last year, and I was blown away by your work as a gender consultant, and I'm just so, so excited to talk to you more about that today. It's a really exciting and interesting new field, and I'm super grateful for the opportunity to tell people about it. Before we get started, I know I briefly introed you, but I just want to check in to see if there's anything else you wanted to add that I may have missed. You kind of hit the the big three, directing, dramaturgy, and uh, gender consultant work, and all of those intertwine at different points. But gender consulting has been a big thing that's come onto my plate in the last couple of years, particularly with, of course, the rise of both visibility for transgender people and some animosity towards Mm -hmm. transgender people. Absolutely. It definitely feels a lot more politically relevant as well, especially after what happened in Tennessee with the drag ban. Yeah, I was actually just down in Kentucky at SETC, and I had a lot of young trans folk coming up to me and saying, what can we do? You know, And I had educators from the South asking, how can we put on shows? And I think there are a lot of questions and not a lot of answers yet, but I'm hoping that in this next few months, this next year, those of us working in this field, particularly in theater, where we tell so many diverse stories and it's really a great opportunity to uplift underrepresented identities, I'm really hopeful that we can find some answers. So before I attended your workshop, I had not heard of the term gender consultant. I'm wondering if you could briefly describe what a gender consultant is, as well as what role they fulfill in a theatrical context. Absolutely. And it's it's funny you say that because in a way, I kind of made it up. Um, <laughs> I love <in> that. that. <laughs> and, and there are other, I want to be clear, there are other people, actually quite a few other people doing the same work that I'm doing. And even before I started doing it, there were folks who are working on this kind of inclusion work, but maybe didn't have a, a label for it. And so I call I started calling myself a gender consultant. It's also accurate to probably say a gender inclusion consultant. But this job can encompass a lot of things. I think first and foremost, it comes down to 
bringing authenticity to theater spaces and making theater spaces accessible for trans and non-binary people. Obviously, you know, everyone is on a different page when it comes to how much they know about transgender identity. And so often one of the jobs of a gender consultant is to come in and help educate people and to help make sure that everyone's on the same page, particularly when you're coming into a rehearsal process where you're working with folks you've never worked with before. It's really great to have someone lay the groundwork so that those trans people don't have to support themselves. They don't have to you know, answer questions that might be outside of their purview as actors or as designers. There's a lot of other things that being a gender consultant can encompass, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But really, it comes down to helping theaters, helping theaters put on shows that are authentic. No, that's incredible. Thank you for telling more about that. Out of curiosity, have you done work as a gender consultant outside of a theatrical context? It's funny you say that. I actually have done it in a couple different places. And the first place that I ever ran a gender inclusion training was when I was working at Trader Joe's as my survival job. (laughs) And I was one of probably 10 trans people on staff. And our managers were just really, really struggling to understand why getting pronouns right was important. And so I went to my store manager and I asked if I could run a training. And at the time, you know, I didn't charge anything extra. I just I just did it as part of my normal work hours. But after having made that presentation for Trader Joe's, I was then able to adapt it and bring it to theater organizations that I've worked with since then. And it's really grown quite a lot. But my current day job after I left Trader Joe's is actually at a biotech company doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And part of that is running gender inclusion trainings. So it's actually lent itself to a lot of different parts of my life, funny enough. That's awesome. I love how adaptable that has been for you. It's been nice. I mean, my current job makes about twice as much as I did at Trader Joe's, so I'm very grateful. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> as we all know, gender even even working as a gender consultant in theater, in addition to being a director, unfortunately does not pay the bills. Yeah. So No, I'm right there with you. You kind of touched on it, but how did you get into the work as a gender consultant specifically for theater? Did you approach them as well like you did with Trader Joe's? Sort of. So I got selected in, this was in 2021. I was selected to be a part of Directors Lab North, which is based in Toronto. And it was a virtual week of classes and, and interaction and workshops and community building. And as part of my application, they asked, what class would you be able to lead? And at the time, I really hadn't nailed down what my specific directing interests were. Now I'm, I'm at a place where I could articulate that a lot better. But at the time, I really thought to myself, well, the only thing I really know how to teach is about identity, having done that transgender inclusion course at Trader Joe's. And so I put that in my application and I got selected. So then I had to share at the uh, at the conference. And so I spent a couple days to the week before really putting together a presentation that was going to speak to this group of directors and speak to all of the things that I have faced both as a director and also as a trans person in theater spaces. Because the truth is, looking back, I've done the same work that I do as a gender consultant many different times in many different theater spaces. I just wasn't getting paid or acknowledged for it. And so 
doing this for a group of directors, I really had the opportunity to workshop what this training was going to look like. And I got a lot of really great feedback from it. And a couple people said to me, hey, you should be getting paid for this. And I said, well, yeah, you're probably right. And so I actually totally on my own did a series of public workshops where I publicized them on Facebook and Instagram. And I ended up for that first, I think I did three or four for the first like round. And I got almost 200 people. <laughs> and there really was an appetite for it. And since then, I've worked with theater companies, I've worked with universities, individuals, I've worked with Dramatists Guild, lots of different programs to, um, to formally give education to folks who are really hungry to learn more. I love the call out of you have been doing this work the whole time. You just have not been paid for it. I get a lot of trans people asking me how I got into this and asking me, you know, well, I don't think I'm qualified enough. And I say to them, have you been a trans person in a rehearsal space? And they say, yes. And I say, great, you're qualified. And that's not totally, you know, not that's not everything. I, I can talk about that later on in terms of folks who are interested in this work. But the truth is, all trans people, having been in a rehearsal room, have faced microaggressions and have faced, you know, uncomfortable situations that they aren't getting paid extra for. And I've done this work, even if they don't necessarily consider it extra work. Yeah. Theater is left leaning. I'm not trying to dispute that, but sometimes I, I think. Um, certain organizations or theater makers think it's a little lefter than it really is. <laughs> no, I mean, you're correct. And it's interesting too. I mean, I have this conversation with a lot of people because at the end of the day, the artists on the ground might be incredibly liberal and might be very forward thinking and progressive. But you know who's not always forward thinking and progressive is the people who are bankrolling these mm -hmm. theaters, you know, the board members and the people who are voting Republican and then turning around and saying, I love the arts and I'm going to support this theater. And I've had a lot of folks not really understand the dissonance there when you say, I'm going to vote for people that are going to take away your rights, but then turn around and say, oh, but of course we can do this show about trans people, mm -hmm. right? You can't have it both ways. <laughs> and I think organizations also don't realize just how much free labor is put into some of their productions, as well as the sustainability of their own company, which is part of why I really love that call out of you've been doing the work the whole time, just unpaid. And hello, theater industry. The bill is due. Right. And it's, it really isn't just, you know, trans folks. I mean, Black folk have mm -hmm. been doing that. Disabled people have been doing that. Like every underrepresented group who's not at this, the top of the pyramid is always going to end up doing that work for people. And to kind of segue into how this work is relevant for theater companies, what are some examples of when a theater company should hire a gender consultant? There are a lot of different moments where a theater company could bring a gender consultant in. One that I highly recommend to folks is bringing a gender consultant in to review your season before you go ahead with it. So I've had a couple different theaters bring me in, and not just me, they've brought in a couple different people and paid us to review the season and look for any what I like to call red and yellow flags. And there are green flags, of course, too. But for me, what I'm looking for in that scenario is a red flag would be something that was actively transphobic, something that was actively harmful to the trans community if that show was put up. You know, a couple examples would be Tootsie or Some Like It Hot. You know, those are shows where if a gender consultant had been brought in, 
those shows wouldn't have necessarily happened the way they happened. And unfortunately, because they've happened, a lot of trans people have felt unsupported by that part of the theater industry. And so, you know, bringing me in, I can identify those tropes, identify those moments that could be harmful. And then I also will identify for theaters what I call yellow flags. Hairspray is a great example of this because we can talk all, I'm sure, for many hours about how important drag is, but drag is very essential to the history of transgender people and vice versa, right? They're very intertwined. And putting a straight man in the role of Edna Turnblad, you know, if you have John Travolta, right, in the movie, that's saying that's a man in a dress. Whereas if you have a drag queen playing that role, it's representative of the queer history that comes behind that role. So for a theater to do hairspray, they're going to want to really think about it and use identity conscious casting when they are putting that all together. And so that kind of leads me into the next point, which is casting. I've been hired by theaters both, you know, to look at an EPA with them or even just to help craft audition notices, right? To, to make sure that audition notices reflect who they're actually trying to look for. And even if that's just, you know, me being paid for an hour to sit with the director and, and craft one character description, it really has made a difference in terms of who's seeing that and who's coming to audition. So those are, those are two, I'd say, great examples. And then, of course, you know, if you're doing a show that is about transgender identity or has a moment with a trans character in it that involves violence, sexual violence, or transphobia, those are all moments where you should be having a gender consultant in the room or on call. Particularly, you know, it's, it's always going to depend on, of course, things like budget and who can be in the room, particularly with, with COVID. But the more authentic voices you can have, the better off you're going to be. And the times I've seen theaters get into trouble is when they read a play, say about trans people, and they say, oh, this is great. I love this. Let's put it on. And they get all the way to production and not a single trans person has been consulted and the community's upset and they don't understand why. And so bringing in a gender consultant early on is really going to help prevent those kind of situations. I really like that approach because it feels like it's encouraging theater companies to be proactive rather than reactive towards how they engage with the art. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot about how many times I've been asked after the fact, after harm has been done, please come fix this for me. I actually have quite a few theater makers in Boston that I have formed relationships with because they had to bring me in to fix things and they were able to learn and grow from that, which is a great opportunity and a great moment. But ultimately, those artists are now bringing me in at the beginning and not having to deal with the backlash and not harming trans people in the community, which is a win-win. It sounds like there is like a multitude of services that a gender consultant can provide in a variety of ways for them to be involved with a company. With so many different approaches, do you have a common start to each show you work on as a gender consultant? Yeah, I have a pretty specific path that I, I go through when I'm starting a show. And it, of course, for me, it depends on if it's a new work or an established work, because they are going to be different approaches. But generally, if I'm brought in, say, towards the beginning, I would have a hand in casting, I would have a conversation with the director. And then when I get to rehearsals, 
the first thing I always do, like I mentioned before, is make sure everyone's on the same page. So that typically looks like an hour and a half workshop that everyone is either required to come to or highly encouraged, depending on the production I'm working on. And that's including designers. That's including production people. That's including box office people. And so everyone comes to this workshop where I cover the basics of trans identity, things like pronouns and history, and also how to make your room the most accessible. And I'm sure I will I will go more in depth on this as we continue to talk, but the three main things that I think are the most important for any room, particularly for trans people, but really for everyone, is agency, authenticity, and consent. And so that's a lot of what I talk about in my trainings when it comes to how bodies interact, when it comes to costumes and and what's going on a body, when it comes to actors feeling like they can speak up about things. So usually after I've done that, but before rehearsal starts, depending on what the order of things is, I also make sure to hold an affinity space. An affinity space in this situation is a space where I invite anyone on the production who is transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming, or I use this language, but going on a gender journey, right? Anyone who might find themselves in this community, even even just a little bit, I invite them to come spend an hour or just a couple minutes within that hour together. And it can be a lot of different things. I've spent that time talking with actors about things they might be afraid of, things they might be worried about. For example, I was working with a trans actor who hadn't worn a dress in years. And the character that they were playing is meant to wear a dress in the second act. And so we had a really great conversation about how they could preempt that potential dysphoria, both by you know prepping themselves, but also by making sure that that becomes a conversation with the director so that they don't get left out and that they don't get forgotten about when the director says, well, I think this is how this person should be dressed. Instead, it's a conversation. Once the rehearsals get started, it really depends on the show. If there's a lot of content related to trans identity, often what I will do is sit near the artistic team. And as we're headed towards areas that have to do with gender identity or headed towards sensitive moments, it becomes very similar to an intimacy choreographer's job, where your your job is in the room to make sure that trans people feel safe, to make sure they have someone that they can come talk to. And to make sure that there's someone who can lead conversations around things like dramaturgy and table work when you may have an otherwise mostly cisgender team dealing with transgender actors, for example. So those are kind of the main things. And and along the way, with every show I've worked on, there have always been, you know, a moment that came up where an actor was uncomfortable and I was able to be an advocate for them or a moment where... I was able to lead anti-trauma practices to try to make sure that people were able to leave the room after rehearsal without the weight of their character still on them. So it is really a lot of things encapsulated in one role, but ultimately coming down to making sure that space is safe for trans people and making sure that everything that's happening on stage and going on stage is authentic to trans identity. Thank you for sharing all of that. The affinity space that really warms my heart to know that that work is happening with some companies. I've had trans people say to me, this is the first time I've worked with a gender consultant. This is the first time I've worked with other trans people on a theater production, which is not surprising, but I hope is something that begins to change as more trans people are hired 
not just on stage, but also as designers and as um, stage managers and as directors. You had mentioned earlier doing work with new shows. Typically, when you work on those, does the script already exist? Or have you ever worked with a playwright in development of a script? A couple of the new works that I have worked on were started before I was signed on. So there was maybe a beginning draft. The two musicals I'm working on, Millennials Are Killing Musicals, which is a really fun musical, and then Psyche, which is a very intense musical based on Greek mythology, very different shows. Both of those had been started with a first draft, and I was brought in. With those shows, I find that my relationship is much more with the playwrights versus established shows where I'm working a lot closer with the director. And of course, as these shows go into production, the director becomes much more of a player in this. But one show that I had the opportunity to work on that was pretty much from scratch. I mean, there was a very basic draft, but we worked on it through development. I actually was the director on this show, not the gender consultant, but I found myself doing a lot of the similar work because this was a play about a young queer girl who was 13 who was really coming into her own and her own queerness and found a relationship and a friendship with her quote-unquote uncle. This was a a gender nonconforming person, but there wasn't really a great word for that because this play takes place in 1973. And so I was able to work with the dramaturg and the playwright who happened to both be cisgender but were queer on making sure that the story that was being told about this gender nonconforming adult was able to reflect the times, it was able to reflect the experiences of the gender nonconforming people who lived in that time period, of which there were actually quite a few. That's great. I was wondering like, about playwrights who might have an idea for a story that might involve a trans character or a trans narrative. And I was wondering if they would be able to onboard a gender consultant so that they could begin the drafts with that consciousness in mind. So... Absolutely. Yeah, I think that I think that's a great idea. I mean, if you're a a playwright looking to tell a story of which you have someone that has a different experience than you, I think it's always a good idea to do that research and do that work. And particularly, you know, I, there are a couple different playwrights that I know that I would love to have that kind of relationship with, if they were interested in writing a play like that, where I could be there from the very beginning and really have those conversations. And ultimately, I think what that would end up looking like would be having enough of a say that you do end up having some sort of co-author credit or something like that. But I think that that relationship and that collaboration is is very exciting to me. I think it's safe to say that the best way to cultivate an environment which cares for the safety of its trans and gender nonconforming artists is by hiring a gender consultant. But what are some basic, practical steps theaters and theater artists alike can take to begin establishing this culture? I think the biggest thing that theaters can do that they aren't doing right now is questioning the culture that has come to be. What I mean by that is that we all grew up in a binary. And for theater makers, that still exists within the theater. And so the first thing you can do is ask questions like, Why do our bathrooms need to be gendered? Is this something that is legally required in our state? Or is this just something that is left over from 30 years ago when it was built? Another great question I always encourage people to ask is, 
if you have two dressing rooms, why do they need to be split by gender? I love to give my casts a um, a poll that the stage manager handles, so so the product the artistic team doesn't see it. But often it will have questions like, "Do you want a loud dressing room or a quiet dressing room? Do you want a lot of people or just a couple people?" Those kind of questions that mean that the dressing room may not end up being split by gender, but instead split by energy level or split by needs, right? And so it's actually a lot easier than people think for equity to get a pass or to get concession. It's really just as simple as, as writing a note, essentially. And so questions like that, and, and even, you know, I always encourage theaters to think about how you can bring your artists into your conversations. So even if you don't have a gender consultant, you know, working on a show, if you have a trans actor, have a conversation with them and the costume designer ahead of time or, you know, during that first fitting, make sure that there's room for that actor to say, well, here's how I was thinking about the gender expression of this character. Or I'm actually not comfortable with wearing pants. Could we do something else? Because so often, you know, we're very used to designers coming in with costumes pretty much, you know, sketches ready to go. And the only time things change are if something logistically doesn't work or if you can't afford something or can't find something. But why can't it also be the case that if an actor says, I'm not comfortable with this, we can't also change things. So I think those questions, right, really trying to figure out what has always been the way it is just because it is the way it is versus what can we change? You kind of reminded me of something my friend Teal Lepley once said on Artist Soapbox, which was to the effect of some of the issues that we see as issues or barriers are not at all issues or barriers as long as we're willing to be creative problem solvers. I think this kind of work is kind of in a, that similar vein where we can accommodate for these things. We just have to be willing to work and think creatively about how we approach it. Absolutely. At the end of the day, inclusion is accessibility. And vice versa. I mean, they go hand in hand. And so making a room accessible to trans people or accessible to anyone for that matter is a form of inclusion. And it's going to help you get to your goals. I've not had the privilege to work on a show which included a gender consultant, but I can imagine you run into some recurring questions and microaggressions from directors or theaters regarding the work that you do and provide. I'm curious if there are any misconceptions you would like to dispel about this line of work. It's an interesting question because I would actually say that what I get more often than than misguided questions, I mean, I get misgendered all the time. I often am the one, you know, having to deal with with those type of microaggressions on the behalf of other people too. But the thing I see the most is directors and, and artists and playwrights not asking me the questions they should be asking. Right. Even when I am on board, there will be something that happens that harms a trans person. And it happens because the director didn't come to me and have the conversation before implementing it. Right. They just put it out there. And so for me, it's a question of collaboration and a question of how we can best work together. Because, you know, we mentioned this before, but if I'm already, if I'm always running behind picking things up from people, it's disadvantage versus preempting things. But the other the other thing that I think I hear more so is why do we need this? Right? 
well, we have trans people in the cast. We have trans people on our staff. Why do we need this? And the answer is because it's always important to have an objective person whose job is to focus on that specifically. And that's not to say your gender consultant can't also be doing something else in the room. I've served as associate director and gender consultant before. I've served as an intimacy director and gender consultant before. So things can be combined to an extent, but I often do get people saying, I don't think we need this because the transgender characters are simple or there isn't violence or I know how to work with trans people because I worked with them before. And to all of those, I say, while they are well-intentioned, it is always better to have another voice of authenticity in the room. I'm also reminded of what you said earlier about question the culture, because I feel like some people might not think to consult you on certain things before implementing because they see it as the default. And and I think it really just comes back to question the culture. (laughs) Why are we doing the things we do? And I think of something you also mentioned in your workshop last year, which was uh, the idea that cis is not the default. And I think that's like that. That's another mm. thing, like question the culture, because there are so many things we're not seeing under the surface. Well, it's so funny. I mean, I think I said this in the workshop, too, and I, I say this all the time. But, you know, the reason that cisgender is an important word is because we would never want to say that transgender people are not normal because ultimately transgender and cisgender are both just descriptive words. They're adjectives. It's no different than saying I am tall or I have red hair, which I'm not tall, but you know what I'm saying, right? Is that ultimately we're all just people and no one's more normal than anyone else. It's just what the dominant culture has been for so long that makes us feel that way. And can a theater hire a gender consultant for a show, even if that show doesn't have trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming artists? Well, that's a good question. I mean, yes, right? I, th- I think absolutely. But I also think, you know, it would give me pause as a gender consultant to see a show that was being put on, say, if it was about transgender issues without tr- any trans people involved. Like that would be a red flag for me that this theater is not doing the correct thing. And particularly if they're bringing me on later, right? says to me that they're really trying to play catch up. But that being said, I think a great question I get is, should a gender consultant be hired for a show where there are trans people and trans artists working, but there aren't necessarily trans narratives being told, right? So the story does not hinge on trans identity. And the answer for me is absolutely. Millennials Are Killing Musicals, the one of the shows I'm working on, is a great example of this where the story is not about trans identity at all. However, the playwright is incredibly intentional with all of her characterizations and and has both a gender consultant and a race consultant to really think through how she's creating these brand new characters in ways that lend themselves to people playing them authentically. And so there are a couple different roles that we've talked through being like, what if this role was trans? And what does it mean for this role to be played by a trans actor? And, And trying to figure out, you know, from scratch, essentially, which characters should be trans versus which characters can be played by trans actors, which are actually two different things. And going back a little bit to the scenario where it might be a show that involves trans characters and unfortunately trans performers and artists are not involved, something I've seen too many (laughs) times. (laughs) What should a theater do if they put out an audition notice for 
a trans or non-binary role, but they don't get the turnout they had hoped for? What are what are some steps they can take moving forward? The answer to this is outreach. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, pretty much no matter where you are, there are trans people there and there are talented trans artists there. But those trans artists may not have been given the same opportunities as cisgender artists in terms of joining an actor's union or getting roles. You know, you may find in your area that you have a trans musician who would be perfect for a role in the musical you're doing, but they're not an actor, so they wouldn't think to come out. And so it's about doing outreach to the LGBT community in your area. It's also about looking for resources. So I, on my website, have a sheet, an Excel sheet that is all of the gender consultants working in the United States that I know of right now. And so, you know, if you're in Virginia and you're trying to cast people, reach out to the gender consultant who's living in Virginia and say, what trans actors do you know? Because the truth is, we're all in community with each other. You know, we, the trans artists and actors and directors working in the United States, many of us know each other. And so I often will have folks reach out to me and, and ask for suggestions. And it always, you know, depends on, on how much work they're asking of me, right? If they're asking me to do a lot of work, this might be a paid opportunity. But I'm always happy to uplift my trans actor friends when people say, hey, I'm looking for a non-binary actor for this world. Do you know anyone? I say, here's three names of people right off the top of my head. So I think that finding those resources and reaching out is a great first step. And, and kind of back to what I said before, I think theaters should really ask themselves, why are they telling trans stories? Because if the answer is just because it's relevant or because the zeitgeist tells us it's important, those are good reasons if you have trans people working with you to tell the stories. But it really is important to ask yourself, like with any play you're producing, why now? Why me? Right? I think it's really important to be able to have that element of self-reflection before selecting a show in the first place. Can I just say, I think you're a gem. <laughs> I'm always happy to be an advocate for, for everyone, but particularly trans people, because I do feel like so many of us are just trying to survive, especially right now. I mean, it's so hard to get on Instagram and see every single state pretty much passing laws that not only hurt trans kids and trans adults, but actively demonize us and villainize us in ways that make no sense at all. And it's really hard to know what to do about it. And so for many trans people right now, I mean, the best way cisgender people can be allies is ask what they can do to help, you know, talk to your representatives, make sure you're getting out there to vote, make sure you're donating to the ACLU and the causes in your area that are supporting mm -hmm. trans youth and drag queens and trans people that are being targeted. You know, I think that it's just so important to do what you can. I think about how so many of us love theater because it comes with so many rewards like catharsis and mm. liberation and beauty and connection. But we also turn to theater for escape from our day-to-day -day lives. And I, I think this work is so important, particularly right now, because politically and socially, it is, it's a tense time for the trans community and they shouldn't have to be doing this work in rehearsal as well. These are, it's not things they should have to be worrying about and doing the work for. And so I, I just really want gender consultants to become more present and for theaters to really 
invite them to the table and to make a place for them? It's been really great having the opportunity in the last year or two. I've had, I mentioned this before, a couple different trans people, you know, speak up and say, how can I start doing this work? And I actually was able to hold a workshop specifically for transgender and non-binary people who were interested in doing this work where I had almost 40 people there talking about how do I become a gender consultant? And it was such a great experience getting to have those conversations. But a lot of the conversation too was, hey, make sure that you yourself are prepared for this and make sure that you are ready to take on what being a gender consultant can mean. That can mean getting asked inappropriate questions or being misgendered or interrogated about your own beliefs and your own feelings. And so I think boundaries are really, really important. Something I always tell artists when I get hired is that I have different boundaries for cisgender people and transgender people. So for cisgender people, my boundaries are you can contact me via email between 9am and 5pm unless it's an emergency. For transgender people, my boundaries are here's my number. If you have a problem, text me, email me, and I'll get back to you when I can. And the reason I have those different boundaries is because I do feel like there is a different weight and a different privilege And I have much more space and room to be able to hold other trans people who want support than I do to handhold cisgender people who need to be dragged through something. What are some of the resources you would recommend to anyone who is interested in learning more about this work and how to become a gender consultant but might not know where to start? For sure. So there's a lot of great resources out there. And if you are transgender or non binary, or gender nonconforming, and you're interested in this work, please feel free to, to reach out to me through my website, shirahelenagitlin.com. I have a lot of resources there that can really help people, both people who are looking to do this work, and also people that are looking to get started as cisgender allies. Under the gender consulting page, I have, like I mentioned, the list of gender consultants working in the US and Canada. I also have a list of transgender and non-binary playwrights as well as a play from each of them that I've highlighted as a place to get started reading more works by trans people. And then I have a packet that's called a resource packet that I put on there that goes through things like trans history, trans culture, trans issues, some of those political issues that you've been seeing in the news, like sports bans and bathroom bills. I have information in there that really is just a a starting place to learn about that stuff. So those are all great places regardless of who you are. But if you are trans, I also highly recommend looking for the TGNC and theater Facebook group. This is a private Facebook group that's specifically for trans people. And it's a really great resource in terms of getting connected to other people doing this work, getting connected to other trans artists, and having that community within the arts and within theater to really come together. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. To kind of end on like a positive note, can I ask <laughs> what is your favorite thing about being a gender consultant? My favorite thing about being a gender consultant is the moment when a trans artist knows they're not alone. And I've had a couple of those moments where someone was able to just take a breath. One great example was a show I was working on as a gender consultant. I had an actor, as we were getting close to tech, come up to me and say, you know, I'm really not comfortable with this costume. I'm having some issues with it and I don't know what to do about it. And it's because of my dysphoria. 
And so I don't want to explain that to the designer because it feels very personal. And I said, don't worry, I got you. And I asked for their consent and their permission. And they were happy to have me be the point person. And I reached out to the designer and I was able to ask for what they needed without necessarily bringing it back to dysphoria, without necessarily bringing it back to what they were feeling sensitive about but still communicate the importance of it to the designer. And when I told the actor, yep, we're all set, no worries, we fixed it. The look on their face of relief was everything to me. And I've had a couple different moments like that where it really made all of the hard work that I've done to make this into an actual line of work worth it. That is amazing. And that warmed my heart so much. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Good. Trans joy is so important. As we close, is there anything you want to plug? And for interested parties, how can they hire you? (laughs) Absolutely. So I run trainings for theater companies, for universities, for individuals, for really most organizations within the arts and theater. And you can find all my information to hire me to come in for those trainings on my website, shirahelenagitlin.com, under the Gender Consulting tab. And I go into depth on that page too, a little bit more about what I talked about today, different ways you can hire me, different roles that I can hold and ways that I can help you out, whether that's for one hour or for an entire show. And like I said, I also have a really great resource for gender consultants working in the United States and Canada. And so if you want to work with someone in your area, please feel free to check that out. I've really worked hard to try to make this a community where we all uplift each other. So if I'm not the right person for you, check that out. We've got people whose niche is Shakespeare or musicals or Black identity. And I really think it's a great opportunity for you to get to know the trans people in your area as well. And we can also link your website and all of the resources in our show description. Listeners, feel free to peruse. Give it a look. I put it all there for you all to have. So please take a gander. Thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation, Shira. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, everyone, I hope you took as much out of this conversation as I did. And I hope your heart has been warmed as much as mine has. Established in 2017, Artist Soapbox is a podcast production studio based in North Carolina. Artist Soapbox produces original scripted audio fiction and an ongoing interview podcast about the creative process. We cultivate aspiring audio dramatists and producers, and we partner with organizations and individuals to create new audio content. For more information and ways to support our work, check out artistsoapbox.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The Artist Soapbox theme song is Ashes by Juliana Finch.